I travel a lot for work covering Formula One and IndyCar races, and I'm always jumping onto different Wi-Fi networks, and I like to make sure that my information staying secure. So that's why I use a VPN. First and foremost, security is of utmost importance, especially when connecting to unfamiliar networks. So private internet access ensures that your online activities remain secure, even when you're on the move. By encrypting your internet connection, it prevents anyone from intercepting your data or eavesdropping on your online communications. This means you can browse with confidence and peace of mind. So if you want to enjoy all the benefits of private internet access, now's the time to subscribe. Head to piavpn.com slash nailing the apex and get an 83% discount. Seriously, 83%? That's just $2.03 a month. And you also get four extra months completely for free, but you must go to piavpn.com slash nailing the apex for a truly private digital life. Once more, it's piavpn.com slash nailing the apex. Get in on the action and make your bet with sports interaction. Summer is heating up with baseball. Can the Jays make a run at the division? Oh, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> uh, hey, but you can bet before the game, whichever way you think, live and in play uh, in all your favorite teams and hot dog contests. Woo! Woo! Sportsinteraction.com slash STPN or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. And what do you have to do, Steve? Please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, write a review as it really helps us grow this show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney. And you can watch us uh, on YouTube as well. Joining me today from uh, Fangraphs, it's Michael Bauman. Michael, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Thank you. Uh, Michael just got out of the shower. Borrowed his wife's hair dryer, <laughs> and here we are. I'm glad we're doing this on video. With uh, <laughs> when, like, I'm glad when we're I was using younger, video for this. <laughs> when I was a younger man, I had made plans to meet a friend for dinner, and uh, I texted her uh, to tell her when to expect me at the restaurant. And she said, "Oh, I just got out of the shower." And I was informed much later that this was like a clue, like a hint that she was dropping that I didn't pick up on. So. I want you to take that in the same spirit that I was dropping hints at you. And now at, at your entire listenership. Copy that. We all know now. Okay. Hungarian Grand Prix, buddy. Red Bull captures their 12 straight win with uh, Verstappen on Sunday. Uh, it's a massive achievement. I mean, obviously then Verstappen getting his seventh straight victory as well. I mean, so for those listening and watching, uh, so 11 straight wins that, was the record set back in 1988 with the McLaren MP44, which uh, arguably is probably one of the greatest race cars ever built. I mean, that is an argument that a lot of us do have. Yeah. It was driven by two uh, incredible race car drivers and Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna. But today, uh, Red Bull Racing beat that. Um, I mean, how impressed are you by this? Bauman, and then I'll tell you why I am. But yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, I think it, that's one of those records that knowing who held it before tells you how special it was. I mean, that is like one of the greatest car driver combinations of of not just Formula One, but but any racing series. And like, I don't know what else there is to do but but point at the scoreboard because that's how dominant the you know the Red Bull and Max Verstappen have been in particular over the you know, the past year or so, the past 12 months. Building a car 
that is like that competitive, I would say in this day and age of Formula One with this new regulation, and then also factor in on top of that, we have a cost cap as well. We have the CFD, uh, the wind tunnel runs that teams are allotted for the beginning of the season. It goes all the way up through to June till we get a reset. Um, but that being said, Red Bull starting the season with the least amount of Red Bull CFD time um, wind tunnel runs that they can actually do. So every time a team flicks on the wind tunnel, that costs them a run. So for a team like Red Bull, who had 60, I think it was like 65%, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, of, uh, of wind tunnel runs and CFD design time. So every time they sort of flick that switch on, and if they've screwed up and they've just walked in and they put something in there and then someone's ass accidentally hits a button and turns the thing on, that costs them a run. So every time they go in there, have to execute, have to make sure that you're disciplined in this, in the fact that you know exactly what you're doing with the component and you don't know exactly what you're expecting to get from it at the same time. So if you go all the way back to like the eighties and stuff like that, I mean, I mean, Bauman, like they didn't have cost caps, right? Like they didn't have, you know, wind tunnel. They didn't have money time. back then. Like, well, certain teams did. Right. So that's the other, that's the other part to this. No, I'm saying that like, the, the concept of money had not been invented in 1988. It, there you go. Exactly. So now, you know, I would argue that it's it's harder just because of all of those things. And then factor in, obviously, Max Verstappen is a generational talent. He's got to take yeah. this thing to, to victory lane um, every every Sunday. So I think for for myself, when I look at what Red Bull has done here, I mean, it's extremely impressive because of those facts that I that I point out like it's. It's not an easy thing for them to do. And yes, they were most definitely working on this car last year, like back in 2022. But still, granted, you, they have to work within the confines of like, this is how much time you get yeah. to work on this thing. And Adrian Newey and his staff, they've they've made a monster. It's a monster of a race car. Yeah, I think comparing it to the 80s, it's just such a different challenge because the tasks are... Like the demands are so much more refined now that you need every single wind tunnel run just because of how precise you have to be. The level of, of air, you know, aerodynamics that they're working at, the level of engineering that they're working at. And it's just so it's so difficult to be creative within the yeah. the rules as strict as they are now compared to when Newey started, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, or go back to, you know, the first ground effect era, you know, the introduction of, of wings, like all the big technological jumps, you're not allowed to make a technological jump like that. Or if you do, you have to find it in these incredibly minute spaces. And I think that's the most impressive thing about what Red Bull's done. They didn't necessarily have the fastest car out of the gate, but they were able to identify a unique... Uh, design avenue that nobody else spotted that turned out to be uh, maybe not the highest ceiling, but the highest ceiling that was feasible to execute. You know, we could talk about the Mercedes floor and, you know, the them not being able to get it in the window. Um, and now that they've got that, because once they closed that gap to Ferrari and overtook them, everybody else has to catch up. And I think the cost cap now, even though they're working with, with less um, less experimental time, in terms of wind tunnel and CFD, the fact that Ferrari and Mercedes 
and I guess Aston Martin, if you want to throw them in this category, Mm -hmm. they can't just throw money at the problem limitlessly. Like, so now that they've, now that Red Bull's out front, everybody's sort of working to catch up to them, then this is not a bad place to be. But even all that said, like, it's a staggering technical achievement. And yeah, 100%. Just looking at how wrong all these other teams got it off the bat and all the mistakes they've been making, just the, the, the level of dominance that we're seeing out of Red Bull is not that surprising in and of itself. The fact that it just is never interrupted by a mistake is the most impressive part. I mean, you take Mercedes, for instance, and their technical staff and just how many, you know, how, I guess, use the word stubborn and going Mm -hmm. in the direction with last year's car for as long as they went. You look at Aston Martin, they pulled the plug on that thing after whatever, two months, whatever. By May, they were had a totally different concept. They had, they had built two concepts heading into the season and they executed on one and then they left the other one on the shelf and then they ended up using the other one on the shelf because it was probably going to be better in the direction they decided to go in. And then you look at Ferrari, there's that's another like stubborn system that they decided to invest time and money into that didn't work. And then so by the Spanish Grand Prix, we're now looking at a car that's headed more in the direction of what Red Bull's doing. And, you know, you hear you know, Lewis Hamilton after after the race just talking about how they need to get a floor on this car that is like Red Bull's. And it's something that yeah. he had been telling them for like a while to do. Like that's what they needed to do. That was the direction that they needed to conform and go down. And so it's 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 mind blowing from the fact that it's taken these teams this long and teams i mean mercedes and ferrari in particular to you know make that switch and start heading down that avenue but for mercedes i mean they're kind of i don't want to say they're screwed but they're in a they're in a window where they've got their impact structure in a weird area on the race mm-hmm. car so you can't do anything with that you have to develop a whole new tub for next year that's going to you know what I mean? Like it's just going to sort of snowball. It's going to take them forever to kind of get back where they could have made this switch last year. So I, I actually disagree. I don't think that it was unwise for Mercedes and Ferrari pers- to persist at their original concepts as long as they did. I think it made more sense for Aston Martin to to switch. If there's a team that I would criticize for waiting too long to go down the Red Bull route, it would be McLaren, um, who I think held on to that design a little bit too long. But if you're Mercedes or Ferrari, you're not looking to catch up to Red Bull because, like I said, with the with the limitations on spending and testing, it's going to be incredibly difficult to claw back an advantage when Red Bull already has a red has a head start on a concept that they understand better than you do. So the best chance for for Mercedes or Ferrari to become that car that's that's way out in front is to bet on their design or, you know, the the avenue that they're going down that Red Bull's not pursuing, having a higher upside that they just haven't unlocked yet. And I think that they, you know, they held on as long as they could to particularly Mercedes, knowing like what what that design was capable of theoretically, I think even a minute chance that it could be executed consistently was worth pursuing as long as they did because they were going to be behind anyway, you know, and now we're seeing what, 
you know, Aston Martin, they were the first to pull the plug on the old design, the first to go in the Red Bull direction. And they were not as fast as Red Bull was early in early in the season. And now they're just slipping farther and farther behind, despite having bigger wind tunnel, you know, big wind tunnel allowances based on their constructors performance last year. And I think that to a certain extent, that was probably the upside for Mercedes had they made that switch early. So I don't think that it was a bad decision to hang on to a flawed design if there was even a you know, I don't want to say a remote chance, but a, a less than 50% chance that that could one day become a Red Bull killer. I just think if you're, you have that intellectual might and all the money behind you and all the things that, but you, you don't know, anymore, these teams, but like Mercedes, like has some talent sure. behind the scenes. But sure. They, them they've got not, the talent and money, but there are limits to how much of it they can use now. Like for them if to this not, was sure. But the, for them to not like actually see this over, a, such a perceived amount of time, right? Bowman, it's not like it's, it's not like it was only a couple of months, right? They, they went down this Avenue for like well over a year, yeah. like well over it. And it's kind of like, well, you should have, they should have seen this like before, like six months in, like these teams are making decisions, big ones quickly. And it's, I just don't see why Mercedes decided to hang on as long as they did that. That's, that's where I question why they wanted to go down that technical direction for as long as they did, because it's costed them another year on top of it. Like who's to say they're going to be super competitive with Red Bull next season. I mean, they could, I mean, it can happen. Mm -hmm. They can come back and they could, it could be a close season next season, but I mean, technically this has put them back until 2025 realistically. Yeah, absolutely. It has. And I think that, that that was always going to happen once they made that initial wrong turn. And it, like, if they had just, dropped into chasing Red Bull mode immediately, that limits their upside. Because this is a team that from a, for more of its existence than not has been the dominant force on the Formula One grid. And if they want to get back there, they're not going to do it by being the second best at building a Red Bull type car. They're going to need to make some sort of innovation, whether that's in, you know, I guess engine development is like, that was a big breakthrough for, yeah, 2014, but yeah. you know that's frozen now, and there are limits to how much they can design. So I think like if there was even a chance that they could put the zero side pod car and like actually make it usable, and you know have more development upside than just following in Red Bull's footsteps, I just I don't want to. I think I don't think it's a smart bet to to bet on your ability to outdevelop Adrian Newey at his own concept <laughs> when he has a 12 month head start. Well, I think that's the direction you're going to have to go in because of where these cars generate their performance from. Like there is yes. the, the underside of these cars is just, especially the Red Bull in particular, you said it very well, where it's just so sophisticated underneath that thing. And it's like, you're where are they going to do better that's going to allow them to make a monumental jump that's going to put them well ahead of the competition, granted from where they are starting from, which is, it's not a great position. So no. I just don't see like how Mercedes is going to be able to really push up against Red Bull for next season, but with the potential for them to push up against them for 2025, which I think is totally feasible i think they can do yes. that no problem yeah. it's like you said you know like they have this they already have this like 12 month lead and you also have adrian newey on top of that so 
Verstappen, and you have Max Verstappen, who had yeah. a dynamite start. Yeah, and that's start. the other thing. It's like, you know, I think if the best, like, the best case scenario is now you're in more or less an equal car to a Red Bull, which is not a given, and you have to have your driver outperform Max Verstappen. And I think that, you know, Hamilton and Russell is a hell of a driver pairing, and yeah. maybe they could do it, but I still, you know, I would like my odds better with almost any other solution. It's just, this might be the best of very bad options for them right now. Um, want to talk a little bit more about Max's achievements. I mean, cause obviously yeah. he was sensational uh, on, on Sunday, got a great start. Um, Hamilton tried to defend, but again, you know, for, for Lewis, just getting too much tire slip at the start costed him. And then Lewis also moving over to defend that costed him again. So you drop back. So for for Max, I said this on Saturday on TSN where I, I said, like, I think Lewis Hamilton could win the race, but he has to get a good start and he has to make sure that he breaks the DRS in the opening laps because that yeah. will allow him to control the tempo of the race. It'll allow him to control the strategy as well. And just didn't get it. Like he was on the he was on the, the best side of the track, too and Max still just on just a wicked getaway, man. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Croft was, um, or not Steve Croft. Uh, uh, David Croft was, um, like calling it out. It was either him or Brundle called out that Max first having seemed way far up in his pit box. And like, you know, you could sense that, that something like that was going to happen. And, I don't know. I think you're right. I think like if Hamilton was going to win this race, that was going to be how he did it. But I'm not even convinced that would have been enough because, you know, mm -hmm. we saw, we saw Lando get away and, um, and lead the race. Um, and you know, the Red Bull just came back at him. You know, it's just sort of a matter of time. You're being chased by like a shark. It's, you know, <laughs> eventually, eventually like it's going to run you down. And you know, that's just sort of what it's like being out in front of the Red Bull at this point. Um, but that said, I was, I was disappointed that this slipped so quickly into just yeah. the typical 2023 race, yeah. you know, for Stappen's out front, you know, Sergio Perez Biff's qualifying and is slowly methodically working his way up the field, you know, inexplicable bad, you know, bad luck of double DNF for Alpine and inexplicable str uh, strategic decisions from Ferrari. Like we're just playing the hits at this point. For for Lando, um, I was impressed to see him come away with second place in this race. I, I yeah. honestly thought he was he was going to finish third. I think I thought he did a really nice job in that final stint of of keeping uh, Sergio at at bay. And for for Lando, you know, not it's not that was not an easy thing to do simply because of the traffic that he had to negotiate uh, during the final stint. And then add on top of that, maintaining a high level of pace and then keeping the tire alive. I believe it was the medium compound, a fresh new medium compound that he had left that he used in that final stint. Um, and again, just trying to keep that alive because the tire dag this weekend was extremely high on yeah. all forms of tires. It wasn't just that the soft tire had a lot of dag. It was like all of them. They all had an extreme amount of wear. And I thought that for... Lando to per, to perform and to hold position in that McLaren remarkable drive from him Bellman just really great stuff 
One of the one of the best of his career. I think hugely more impressive than last time out at Silverstone for McLaren yeah. in general. Because uh, yeah. we know, like Silverstone was, it came. It seemed like it came out of nowhere. Uh, but that's the type of track where you would expect them to be stronger. You know, abnormally cool conditions. You know, high speed corners, yeah. uh, harder tire sets to mitigate some of the um, some of the issues that like those circumstances were were ideal. And they delivered, absolutely, and, and it was a huge step forward. I thought that the equivalent of replicating that at Hungary on the three softest tires in the range, I thought the equivalent of that would have been something like them finishing seventh and ninth. Yeah. I didn't think that this was possible for yeah. McLaren. So, like, not just and not just Lando, but Piastri being, you know, composed enough and opportunistic enough to sneak into second place on the opening lap, that was really impressive from him, too. I just, like, I'd come away just, I'm blown away by by what they did this weekend. I think that, you know, if Red Bull breaking the the consecutive wins record is the story of the weekend, McLaren's performance is right behind it. And for those listening and, and watching, you know, one of the, if we go back to the British Grand Prix, Andreas Stella had, I sat in on a um, press conference with Andreas Stella and we were asking him about the next race that was, was coming up in, in Hungary. And, it was interesting him telling us that, you know, they didn't have high hopes for that race because of the characteristics of the track didn't really suit the car. And then on top of that, Hungary is usually a really hot race in when yeah. they do it. It's blisteringly hot. So track temps, that doesn't favor the McLaren either, like you had said, with the British Grand Prix being nice and cool, which is something I can never tell because they they all reported in Celsius. So whatever, you know, I heard 46 <laughs> degrees down there. And I was like, sure. You know, I'm like, you know, taking <laughs> out a really pencil hot. and papers and watching on TV. <laughs> Let's just say it's really hot, dude. But that being, that being said, like, you know, Stella had was kind of warning all of us that, you know, Hungary was going to be a bit of a struggle for them. They didn't really change much to the car coming, yeah. coming to Hungary. And so, you know, just really interesting to know, you know, a lot of these teams, Alfa Romeo, for instance, and the uh, qualifying performance that, you know, Zhou Guan Yu had and uh, even Valtteri Bottas at that at that point. You know, just it's the qualifying stuff has been really interesting to watch this season because the teams are so close in Q3, even though they were running, they're all running the hard tire. They're still separated by nine tenths from first place all the way back to 20th. Yeah. I haven't seen it that close, man. But then once we get into these races, it just it throws a huge wrench into everything because nobody knows what to expect from their race cars. The teams don't even know. Like I've never I've never seen it like this before. Like these guys don't even know. Like Red Bull seems like they're the only ones who understand their car, how much tire dag they're gonna have, how much the tire eats the or how much the car eats the tire within the races. These other teams, man they just don't know it's remarkable to watch and i think that's why lando norris's performance to me yeah for sunday was so impressive because no one had any idea of how they were gonna go um norris breaking the uh first place trophy uh did you see that yeah Dude. good for him <laughs> like, gonna need some super glue to pull that thing back together buddy well, what, that's for sure I remember, uh, God, it was, it was, I think it was Real Madrid won like their Spanish league cup 
like 10 years ago and you know they all have the open tour open top bus tour uh through the city you know their, their championship parade basically and somebody and all the players are just wild drunk on top of this bus <laughs> and one of them drops the trophy off the front of the bus off the the top of this double decker and the bus <laughs> like runs over it so they That's have awesome. to like pull the dented trophy out from underneath the front bumper of the bus so uh, you know dude I, I think we're a little precious about trophies. I think that, you know, trophies are made to be displayed and to to have a little bit of, you know, have a little bit of use. So <laughs> I don't mind use. it. Uh, Sergio Perez finishing third. Had a difficult weekend. You alluded to a bit of it there earlier, but... Uh, you know, free practice one straight out of the pits. I think he was like three laps in, friggin' bins, bins it. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, Sergio, no, don't, don't, don't have a meltdown here because Daniel Ricardo's yeah. back in that Alpha Towery and qualifying again, not really, not really going that well for him. But, you know, the race, obviously, he really, he really came to life. I think. You know, for Sergio, it's it's really trying to understand what the the car will do in quality, and I think there is a confidence issue there as well. Trying to figure out, you know, how much he can push it, where can he push it, and and managing managing that. And I think I think that has something to do with it because in the races, he just he comes to life, right? Yeah, Un- unbelievable what what he's done in that those circumstances, and considering the pressure that's being put on him now because Ricardo's back. It's, I mean, it's sort of what he's always done. I kind of like stylistically, like enjoy cars and drivers who underperform in qualifying and, you know, find a way to back to the front on Sunday. I think that there's something like something clever about that in my mind. Uh, you know, I, that's, I guess that's just like a, you know, an arbitrary aesthetic thing, but this is always what he's done. The problem is, when he doesn't always get all the way back up to the podium or, you know, when he starts so far back in the grid, you know, we saw this happen to, to George Russell um, when he got caught up in that Q, you know, Q one traffic and started 18th. Um, it's, it's been tougher recently for Checo to make it back to the, to the front of the, of the pack. Cause if you take it for granted that Verstappen's going to start on pole, win the race, which is usually what's going to happen, you know, does it matter that much if he qualifies second and finishes second or if he qualifies eighth and finishes second, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, I think having this result, having these points back under his belt will probably do him a world of good in terms of, of confidence. Um, But, and, and at a track where he hasn't traditionally been the most successful either. Uh, So I think that, you know, he wasn't, I wouldn't call him the standout performer of the day by any stretch. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I put the the McLarens and and Hamilton, um, you know, the start notwithstanding, uh, ahead of that. But it, you know, it's good for him. You know, the they don't ask how they ask how many, and I think that this was a <laughs> this was that kind of weekend for Checo. For racing drivers, there's you know, in 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 my time coming through racing, there was always there was there were always drivers who were good at practice. And then not so great with qualifying and not so great with racing. And then there was always drivers who were not great with practice. They were great with qualifying and then they sucked in the race and they crumbled under the pressure. But there were also drivers who were great at all three practice, 
qualifying in race because it's a different mindset. It's a different style and it's a different way of attacking. And all three of those things, if you're, if you are able to have a driver who is solid at all three of those things, you know, you've got something special because not all these racing drivers who are on the formula one grid can, can do all that consistently and be great at it consistently. I mean, you take Sergio Perez for qualifying, not the greatest qualifier. Is he a good racer? Yeah, he's a great racer. So I think that's something that he needs to take a step back and take a look at. And I think that's where the confidence stuff kind of comes into play when we talk about Sergio Perez, but Lewis Hamilton finishing fourth um, was chasing him down the Mercedes coming to life again, just at, at the end, you know, they made mention of it on the broadcast Bauman of like, you know, low, fu- low, low fuel, low fuel tanks. Yeah. And like, maybe that has something to do with it. And yeah, you know, I tend to agree. I mean, I don't think they, again, really know like why they're as competitive um, as, as the race was starting to, to dwindle down towards the end. Um, yeah. When you look at uh, when you look at Hamilton's performance today, you know you did say it. You you were impressed by it, but uh, yeah, were you? I guess disappointed to see that he wasn't able to capture that podium position. Definitely based on where he started, and like everybody, I, I don't know. I I don't want to speak for like what the public wants in terms of like the the competitive order, um, but it seemed like you know every time there's a of you know challenger you know somebody new on the front row or somebody qualifies ahead of her staff and uh there's like oh man is this it and with hamilton particularly i think there is a desire to see you know this all-time great back at the front of the grid and so i you know i understand why there was so much oh this means that hamilton's back uh discussion after saturday but you know i, I always thought it was kind of unrealistic to expect him to win i thought it was possible but uh, but unlikely. And, you know, I would have liked to see him convert that onto a podium because it just took so much air out of, you know, my own excitement for the event. Cause I, you know, I wanted to, even if I thought he'd fail, I thought that maybe we'd see some excitement and he just mm-hmm. not even got beat off the line by Verstappen, but ended up in fourth, you know, halfway through the first lap of the race. And I was like, God, what, you know, what an anticlimax. I think he did a good job to, you know, to hang on to that position and, um, you know, he never seemed entirely happy with the car until the the very end of the race. And so, you know, I guess that is part and parcel of Lewis Hamilton is you're never happy with the car, but yeah, I, you know, I thought it was a, a good weekend. Uh, you know, you could see how much getting back on pole meant to him. Um, but even if a win wasn't possible, I definitely think that a podium was if, if he had yeah. executed a little better off the front. Yep. Oscar Piastri in, in fifth, there was that moment where, you know, he moved up into second place and like, I was so excited for that guy, man. Cause yeah. I was, because it, you know, Max wasn't just pulling away, right? Like Oscar actually, Oscar actually contained him for at least, it was, I want to say about six laps or so before the gap started to unravel. Um, I was super excited for that guy, man. Like he is, he is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, you know, just getting to spend some time with him this year. He, he's he's super down to earth. He's easy to talk to. Uh, and he's a driver you really want to root for. Like, he's a good dude yeah. and fast as hell, man. Like, I, he's a rookie and he's pushing Lando, like really pushing him. So it's it's nice to see. I I wasn't too sure what to expect from 
Oscar this season and the way everything went down with him last last year, I felt that there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders coming to McLaren for this season and really having to perform. Definitely. And, um, you know, I've been impressed by what we've seen out of him and, uh, you know, uh, more than anything in the past couple weeks, because we knew that Lando Norris had this in him. And mm-hmm. that was always a big question about Piastri. You know, was it, was he going to show flashes of brilliance like so many other F2 champions or, you know, did he have the goods And it? You know, I guess we don't know if he's got the goods yet, but he's certainly seems to be on the way to acquiring the goods. Uh, you know, just the, the move to, to get into second on the first lap was just so calm and measured and, you know, demonstrated such awareness. And, you know, I was just really impressed that, that he went there and was able to hang on to it. You know, who knows what would have happened. He got a little hard done by in the, you know, in the, in the pit stops, they McLaren let, let Lando undercut him. And I, you know, if, I don't think that that is necessarily a thing, but it's something if I was Mark Weber, I would be going in there and yeah. being like, you know, what were you guys doing? Well, yeah. There? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad. I just curious talk about this. Yeah. hundred percent. I was just going to bring that up and I'm glad you did. Um, yeah. Because you know what? If I'm Mark Weber, that's the first thing I'm doing as soon as the race ends. I'm going to find out where Zach Brown is. You're going to go have a conversation and then we're going to get Andreas Stella. We're going to bring him into it too. And we're going to figure out what was going on there because, yeah, I don't know if that was, um, I don't say fair, but like I would, I would like an explanation as to why. Yeah. That would be if if my mark. Like, Weber, even, that's if, what I want. even if you want to say that, you know, I think there's a, a perfectly reasonable argument to be made that if, even if the purpose of that was to get Lando out in front, because they thought that he had the better chance. Like, I think that's a, an entirely yeah. legitimate call to make. I just, let's, you know, let's yeah. flag this for, for later. hundred percent, hundred percent. George Russell finishing sixth. You know, I know like Sergio Perez got driver of the day, but I, I would, I don't know what the hell people are thinking because I think George Russell should have been driver of the day. I mean, guy was P 18 starting on the hard tire compound and he had I to make that thing bet, last brother. I would have bet my bottom dollar that he got overeager at the start and ended up finding, you know, finding Kevin Magnuson. You know, I guess we'll yeah. just say finding Kevin Magnuson and <laughs> yard sailing all over the place. Uh, you know, basically doing the like when he got out when he got out of eighteenth and that crash happened around him and he escaped unscathed. I was like, oh, maybe this is a new, yeah. you know, less yeehaw <laughs> version of George Russell that we're seeing now. Um, yeah, he was, I, I thought he was spot on in his comments, uh, after qualifying where, you know, it's basically like we got caught, you know, I got caught up in traffic. There was nothing I could do about it, but also like it wasn't an accident. Like we made a mistake. We messed up leaving it this late. Uh, you know, I think that's exactly right. They shot themselves in the foot and they can't afford to be that casual, you know, with, like you said, everybody, um, bunched up within basically a second. And mm-hmm. so, you know, acknowledging that, that it was a mistake either on his part or a strategist or both to, to, you know, they deserve to be back in 18th to, to start there. I think he did a pretty good job of making the offset strategy work and methodically working himself up, you know, through the field, 
staying out of trouble, keeping his nose clean. I think that, that getting back into sort of middle points finish is a, a pretty decent reward. I think I'd be happy with that. Uh, yeah. If I it's been tough for, I, I think also on top of that, it's been, it's been tough for Russell lately. I would say ever since Monaco, I would say ever since they brought this new upgrade to, to, to the race car, I would say that Lewis has probably been outperforming him uh, quite a bit. And I think for George, it was sort of the opposite last season where George was the one who was outperforming Lewis yeah. quite a bit. And now it's kind of that thing is reversed. And I think for, you know, for George, you know, obviously I think, you know, he feels that he's just as good or on the same you know, level as, as what Lewis is, because as a racing driver, you have to think that if when you're with your teammate, but I would be interested to see if they hadn't messed up the quality where he would have positioned himself. Would he have gotten pole? I don't think so. Hamilton's lap was absolutely incredible. And that's why he got pole position, but where George would have factored into the race at the front. I think he probably would have, I think he probably would have been in this top four, top five sort of battle. Uh, Cause he definitely had the pace all day today. Charlotte Claire and the Ferraris. I mean, God, Damn it. Like Carlos Sainz finishing eighth, Leclerc getting that five second time penalty at the end of this. Seventh Speeding in the pit two. lane is such an annoying oh, penalty man. to take. It's just like. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's getting frustrating to watch. I love Ferrari, so this is, it's hard, man. Like slow pit stop, too. And so what I was, what I was referring to when I talked about the strategic blunder is they started signs on softs, which, first of all, how cool is that, that we got all three sets of tires on the, yeah. you know, in relatively competitive cars? That, yeah. that that was, if that's, like, what the new, or what the, the experimental qualifying format leads to, then then give me more of that. Absolutely. Uh, but, and I, I thought that worked great. You know, signs was was flying out of the gate, as you would expect from, from someone on softs, and they just let him sit behind Leclerc. And I was like, you know, maybe the field is so bunched up that they can't find a good spot to reverse the cars without, I think Alonzo was behind them at the time without, you know, bringing him into the mix, but they had a gap and they didn't do it. And they, you know, neutered like the one, I think really clever unorthodox strategic thing that they've done. And, you know, it, well, I don't want to say it fell apart. You know, they, they both scored. I think that you think that, um, Based on how fast Hamilton, the Red Bulls, and the McLarens were, I don't know how many points they actually left on the table as a result of this. It's not many. But it's just it seemed like an obvious thing to do to, to let signs go. And just as far as I could tell, like not even any discussion of it. Yeah, you hit on it with the strategy too there, Bauman. I mean, I think for I mean you could hear it on the radio with Carlos firing back to 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 back to the garage, just denying what Ferrari wanted to do in terms of strategy. And that's where, I mean, you've got this disconnect between driver and strategy department in losing the confidence within that. And as a driver, you know, if you're having to, you know, manage that loss of confidence, it's, it's hard. It's hard because you want to basically your ass is in the seat. So you're the one who knows what the tire is like, if it has more life left in it and you're trying to communicate that back and then you're getting denied and then you're denying them. And so it's, you're, you're basically, you've gone down this rabbit hole now with this team. And I honestly don't know how the drivers get back to having confidence within the strategy department. They've got to earn it. it. And, and so far they're going the other direction. I think, I mean, you know, this, 
10 times better than I do, but how important like that level of trust is between driver and the oh, race engineer. It's huge. And uh, I don't know. It's just, you could see it starting to wear on both of them for different reasons, I think. But the fact that they know that, that they can't always trust their pit wall is like, this is a hard enough job on its own. And it, both of them, I say both of them for different reasons. Cause it seems like, Signs is one of those guys like Hamilton who wants to be involved in making all the strategic decisions. Like he wants to play the chess, you know, chess match from the the driver's seat. Whereas Leclerc is like, you've got a job. Yep. Like, just tell me what to do and I'll execute it as best I can. Yep. And neither of them are getting what they want. Aston Martin really struggling uh, this weekend, ninth and 10th for Alonso and, and Lance. Uh, they've really started to go backwards the past few races. I mean, their highest placed position in the last three races was a fifth place by Fernando Alonso at the Austrian Grand Prix. And then since then, I believe Alonso was seventh at the British Grand Prix and Lance was out of the points. Yeah. Um, now both of them just squeaking into the points. Alonso just squeaked into Q3 on Saturday. And by just, I mean just think of, I posted it on my Twitter account, but it was like three one thousandths of a second is what he squeaked into Q3 with. Um, they've really started to like regress. And the last time this team brought a, an upgrade to the car, it was like a big upgrade. It was the Canadian Grand Prix. And I believe they had, they had a floor and part of a floor edge as well as what they brought with them to the Canadian Grand Prix. And then for this weekend, they actually, they only brought a, um, uh, an engine cover, which is for cooling purposes. But then you take a look at, you know, Mercedes, they had, they, they had a new front wing. And then you take a look at the, uh, few of the other competitors as well. Like Ferrari had some stuff this weekend too. And it's like, I would say they're now behind McLaren. So I, I yeah. would put it as like Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, Aston Martin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hearing from the drivers following the race, hearing from my crack, it really just sounds like at the end of this one, they just don't really know where they've lost the time. They, they don't know where they don't know where it is. And this is what I was worried about from the beginning. Like, I didn't think that they were didn't think I was not sold that they were the legitimate best challenger to Red Bull when they had the second fastest car on the grid. Cause they were just an early adopter and copying the Red Bull model. And this is what I was talking about with the, the Mercedes decision is if all you're doing is following, you're never going to understand. You're never going to you know, make that gap up. You're never going to spot something that Red Bull isn't. And so there was really nowhere for them to go, but down. And now we're seeing other teams, you know, follow their own paths and, you know, teams that really have traditionally had a good handle on, on how to build a car, you know, McLaren, Mercedes. I wonder if even Alpine would be in Aston Martin's, um, you know, range in terms of pace, uh, if they could keep their damn cars on the road. Uh, so I, it, yeah, you know, things are not going well. And it, we were talking about, uh, where could Fernando Alonso get perfect conditions and maybe be that one person to steal a win from Red Bull. And I said, you know, someplace like Singapore. Well, this was like, this was a great opportunity. This was, this was supposed, this was prime territory for yeah. Aston Martin, the Aston Martin relative to the field. Yep. You know, at the beginning of the season, it was. where are they now? Yeah. No, I, 
I just think they're also getting outperformed on top on top of it in terms mm-hmm. of the upgrades, right? You see all these teams; they're in an upgrade yeah. battle right now. And I think for Aston Martin, you need to be aggressive with with that. And I'm I'm sure they're going to have upgrades in the pipeline that are coming, but it's like now you have to hope that the upgrades are going to be a bigger step than what your other three, four competitors in front of you have already done. And that's a lot to ask because they're going to up update what they've already got as well. And so you're in this war, but you, you haven't struck first with that, those big upgrades, right? Like, you know, Mercedes, they changed the whole friggin' car in Monaco and then you had Ferrari. They changed their whole car at the Spanish Grand Prix. And then you had the same thing that's been happening with McLaren as well. And so for Aston Martin, they need another big step to get them ahead of, of everyone else and get them back to where to where they were if they want to hold on to this third place in the uh, constructor standings at the moment. Alexander Albon has been incredible since the Canadian Grand Prix. And the, the Williams cars looked super handy underneath him. He comes home 11th. That's a great performance from him, um, Bellman. And same with, uh, you know, Valtteri Bottas, the Alfa Romeo, dropped back a bit for this race, but qualifying performance was was great. And then you had Dan and Ricardo in 13th for the Alfa Tauri. Uh, are you impressed with Ricardo's performance this weekend? Um, Sort of, yeah. I think this is about what he had to do. I, you know, I think that people are... I'm going to put on my Yuki Tsunoda superfan hat. And I'd say like people are, I think, <laughs> underestimating the challenge that he's going to pose. This is not the same driver that was getting absolutely rinsed by Pierre Gasly in the first year of his career. Uh, so, you know, but the fact that they basically, you know, yeah, qualified Tsunoda, the difference ended up being something like a hundredth of a second, I think. So mm-hmm. really not much in it there. You know, he had, I guess, a, you know, he got caught up in that first lap collision ended up a little bit off sequence. And so had sort of an odd drive, but getting the 13th. Yeah. I don't know if the other guy gets the, the alpha tower to 13th. So I, I'd say pretty solid first weekend. I think I'd be, I'd be satisfied with that if I was him. I was talking about this on Thursday on the pod and we hadn't seen the cars on the track. We hadn't seen, you know, Danny Ricardo do his thing in the alpha tower, but I had assumed at that point, point that this was going to be a car that really suited what his driving style Mm -hmm. is and you know hearing from him on thursday and like understanding the fact that you know how much work he had to put into the simulator and then working with simon uh rennie who was his uh engineer during those times at red bull racing where he was winning a lot of stuff and was having great success that's who his engineer was he jumped back in the simulator with this guy and it really looks like he's rediscovered his his form, so to speak, his driving style, because, you know, you, as a driver, you can't never really adjust your style unless you're one of these generational talents who can adapt so quickly to a changing car or a different car, driving something differently or having a different uh, take on getting into a corner to make the car fast again. For Daniel, it's a little bit different, right? He has a certain style that he sticks to and that he likes. And I think that this Alpha Tauri is geared a little bit more towards what he likes to do. I think that favors him for sure. But it's like I had said, you know, during a sports center hit, I mean, if, if Ricardo keeps kind of performing like this and those performances get uh, a little bit stronger, if I'm Sergio Perez, like, whoo, look out, buddy. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be pressure time. Let me tell you. 
Yeah, I definitely wouldn't diminish that. I do think that Red Bull would probably be hesitant to, you know, just can Perez if he's oh, perfor- yeah. like, you know, if he's finishing on the podium, then I think they'll just yeah, let yeah, the contract run out. Sure. But so I think like, sir, I think Checo has to like, has to really screw up. Yes. still, And he's definitely shown that that's a po- you know, that's a possibility yes. worth considering. And I also think Ricardo has to do better than he is now. Like yes. he can't just, he can't just tie Sonoda. He has to beat the brakes off Sonoda yes. uh, in order to make Red Bull think seriously about that. So promising start. He's still got half a season to go in terms of, you know, really making that a difficult decision. Nico Hulkenberg in the, uh, the Haas. I mean, again, Haas, qualifying not too bad but then dropping like a stone yeah. in the race still again with that understanding of uh race tire and what the car does they haven't really also had a lot of upgrades to this car i mean i think they they brought a bit for this weekend but it was nothing huge uh yuki snoda in, in p15 joe guan yu p16 magnuson p17 logan Sargent, uh p18 tough day for logan i mean he was going actually pretty decently this weekend um had that spin and then immediately they retired the car uh i guess you, you know you're <laughs> bauman as an american <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you think what's going on uh not the follow-up i wanted from a strong weekend at silverson what i'll say is you know as much as mclaren deserves extra credit for succeeding on a track that you know we talked about track with mclaren and aston martin i think the same applies to williams this is not the kind of place that i would expect them to uh, to really perform well. So would I have liked to see Logan Sargent not literally qualify 20th? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not surprised that he took a step back from a, a strong Silverstone weekend where I think he had a real argument to be in the points. But, you know, I'm I'm not running out of patience with him yet, but he's got to, I think he's got to get on the scoreboard pretty soon or else people are going to start asking questions. Yeah, I think he's like he's uh, he's closed like he's closed down the the actual the delta between him and him and Alex. I mean, where at the beginning of the season it was, I think it was like maybe around a second, and then he's kind of clawed it back to just about a few tens. Um, I think like it's also a car that's more. Uh, suited for for Alex. I mean, this isn't really a car that's suited for what Logan does. So I think for for Logan, it's trying to uh, figure out where can he sort of make the difference, and then where can they go in a direction with setup where he can still be um, quick. He was fast in the race. I mean, he he was lapping faster than than Alex was, um, which is which is good. It's a great sign. That's got to mm-hmm. fill him with a lot of confidence, to be honest, because Alex is freaking fast right now um but yeah like you said you know i i think he'll i think he's gonna be okay and it looks like the learning's coming and stuff like that so the next race in spa i think williams is gonna be pretty strong and i think that's gonna be you know logan's gonna have to take that next step i think once we get to spa yeah uh what else we got so we got questions, so let's over head over and do uh, the debrief. So it's a new segment for our uh, listeners and and viewers where we take your questions and we uh, pretend you like we know what we're talking it? about. You got got music for the debrief? I I hope they put music over there. They may not. They may not do anything. They may just be straight. You got in a big this. like schwang the debrief. <laughs> 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 well, I hope 
we use that. Every Just time clip we that. Run this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, from Mark Kidson, do the other competitors gripe too much about the superiority of the Red Bull, considering the second Red Bull isn't finishing twenty to thirty seconds ahead of the next car, as Verstappen does? Maybe Max is just the fastest out there, as was Senna, Stewart, Clark, etc. Um, you know, it's interesting to always listen to Total Wolf. I think, right, because he, he kind of gives it he gives it to you straight, Bellman, where he kind of says at the end of the race, "Look, they've done a better job than everyone else, and this is what it is, and we need to do better to catch up with them." So I don't necessarily think anybody actually like you know gripes. It's it's more I think they need to get to work and build stuff faster. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's frustration that Red Bull is this far out in front that Verstappen is this unbeatable right now. I think that that's an entirely reasonable emotion to feel and express. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unfair, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I think Toto Wolf and Zach Brown and all, you know, uh, Fred Vasseur and all the drivers like, they wouldn't say it's unfair either. Mm-hmm. I think they'd say it sucks. And insofar as anybody's griping, I think that that's more what they're expressing is like, we got our pants pulled down and we're not happy about it, but you know, get better. I guess you know, there's not really anything else to do. Uh, from Jeremy McCready uh, with Max being so dominant, who on the current is going to be the next challenger to try and Ooh. stop him. Uh, uh, look, I think Spa is unrealistic for anyone to catch the the Red Bulls. I think. Oh, Spa, you think it'll be this year? Good. I well, hold on. Yep, hold on. Okay. I think I think when we get to in in around the October range, I think we may start to see teams start to push Red Bull for wins. Though. It's not, and Lando actually alluded to this following the race. It's not so much that, you know, Red Bull, even though they have a great car, yes, they are beatable now in qualifying. It's the races where they struggle because they struggle in terms of the tire degradation, where mm-hmm. the Red Bull doesn't use the tires, uh, chew them up as much as the other competitors' cars do within uh, the actual race itself and that's where the understanding needs to to sort of come in and that's why i think there is there's going to be a team who kind of starts to get to grips with that quicker and i think we're gonna see it i honestly think we'll see someone challenge for a win at some point this season i mean we did actually almost see it in monaco yeah granted i think monta will always you know always has capacity to throw up an upset i think you know this is second to last race on the calendar so um or not second to last. I'm looking at the uh, third to last race is Brazil. And uh, yep. Brazil. that's a place where Mercedes has been stronger than Red Bull. I mean, it was the only place that Mercedes was stronger than mm-hmm. Red Bull last year. And I think, you know, if you're talking about tire dag, then Mercedes is a car that's, you know, fairly close and they've got two drivers who are good at managing their tires. So that's, um, you know, the two races I would circle short of max, just blowing a tire and hitting a wall. Like, mm-hmm. I think that 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 that's what I think it's going to take. And I'm impressed that that hasn't happened already um, in terms of like who can like actually push him as a driver. I think, uh, you know, the obvious answer to me is, a, you know, a fully rearmed and reengaged Lewis Hamilton. But mm-hmm. I 
as much as Lando Norris's stock has been on the rise, I think he's another guy who I think like could actually take it to to Verstappen, you know, particularly if Verstappen and Red Bull start to get complacent, whether that's mm-hmm. 24, 25, if he's got a car that, that, uh, you know, is actually capable of winning races regularly, he could be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. From Parth Lad, it seems like Aston Martin has been leapfrogged by the lights of McLaren and Mercedes and the development race. What has affected their ability to bring upgrades over the summer thus far? That's a great question. I mean, obviously we did touch on it during the podcast, but yeah, you know, I, you, we have to take into consideration the fact that, you know, switching factories is a massive undertaking for the team. And at some point, I think that has to affect at your development of a race car because you're moving folks from one factory to another factory. You're also moving technology from one factory to another factory. And at the same time, you don't have your own wind tunnel, which is extremely important in this day and age of, of Formula One. So they share their wind tunnel time with with Mercedes and they have to coordinate. I was talking to Mike Crack about this, actually, um, during the British Grand Prix weekend when I got to go visit the Aston Martin team at the factory. Uh, you need made mention to me that they have to schedule when they are actually allowed to go and use the Mercedes wind tunnel. Um, so they can coordinate. So they're not both there, you know, going over top of each other, but they have a set set days, set times um, that they're allowed to go and do that. So they can't just go to their wind tunnel uh, on a Monday, randomly throw the car in there and start, start testing. No, no. Yeah. It's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those are your days at this time, from this time to this time. That's when you get to use the wind tunnel. So now you're, you're setting yourself, you know, you're setting yourself back. So, there will be upgrades that will come to the car. It's just going to take time because of all of these different factors that are jumping in on all of this. Uh, from at Drippin MMA, did I hear that there is some kind of salary cap in the F1 now? There is. That's the answer. That's all I got for yeah. you, pal. Uh, Balvin, good stuff. Thanks, buddy, for doing this. Let everybody know uh, where they can find you and what you got going on. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Bauman. You can find my work at Fangraphs.com if you enjoy, I don't want to, you know, say particularly insightful baseball writing, but it's got, you know, I like to think <laughs> we've got a little flair to it. Hey, I think you do a good job, man. I read your writing all the time. I'd like to think so, dude. too, but, you know, <laughs> we'll let the, let the listener slash reader make the determination for themselves. 100%. Uh, thanks very much, man, for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate this. Um, thanks very much, everyone, for watching and listening. If you want more Nailing the Apex, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube. Again, head over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on there and, a, and uh, write a review because it really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media. We'll be back later on this week to set up the Belgian Grand Prix.